Today is Monday, March 20th, 2023, time for episode 188 of the Barnhart Podcast. 188, that sounds interesting, that sounds familiar. It's been quite a while since we've recorded a podcast. No, we have not been coerced, we have not been bought off. What are the other attributes of Canon 188? We're not in substantial error. Oh, this is true. I do know how to run my computer. I just haven't plugged it in and made it all go. <laughs> oh, goodness. That's great. A lot has happened. I mean, we've 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 had balloons fly overhead. We've had all kinds of other things happen. I, I, in fact, we were talking before I started recording the notes that I had queued up to go. It's like FBI versus trads. Like, that's been so long ago. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things they talk about on, on No Agenda, and we mentioned that podcast, almost every podcast, is that they identified a long time ago that the FBI runs on like a six-week cycle. Every six weeks, they're stirring something else up, and it justifies them having a budget to do, I don't know, counter U.S. domestic uh, terrorism stuff. And about six weeks ago, it was, it was uh, FBI versus trads. Of course, this week, it's FBI versus Trump supporters. It, it's been a while. Now we, now we get to talk about bank collapses and things. I know I I have my I still have I, I still have my um, my uh, Chinese spy satellite decorations up and here we are already at, at bank collapse so well that that's so, been what, that, that's been the meme it's like are, are we already on to bank collapse I got my Chinese spy balloon decorations up it's like, yeah. are we already on to Trump going to prison I've already got my, my I still have my bank failure uh, decorations up so it's it's always ongoing it's like what will the sheep believe now let's let's move on to so, the next the next thing the next kayfabe spectacle what what is the deal on that is they are they i don't understand they're talking about like they've known for weeks and weeks and weeks the exact day and hour that he's going to be arrested uh so if if some if some uh prosecutor in new york comes out with charges against him doesn't he just have to stay out of new york and stay in florida or i don't i don't understand what the whole trump arrest being arrested thing is other than our our, all of our extreme suspicion that the whole thing is just fake anyway um yeah tomorrow the the district attorney in in new york wants to initiate kick off and verify and and make sure that trump gets the republican nomination in 2024 because it's going to be a massive exactly. rallying call because I mean, he's he's a- absolutely anti-Trump. I mean, he wants for his his uh, mantelpiece, I'm the one who convicted and arrested Donald Trump and pictures of him mm-hmm. with the perp walk and all the rest. But this is just going to rally all the Trump true believers. And not that it really matters anyway. I mean, at this point of the Republic, you can't we're not going to solve our issues by voting harder or voting our way out of it. Yep. So, you know. Yep. It reminds me of the George Carlin uh, saying that when when you're born in this world, it's like having a ticket to the freak show. And when you're born in the United States, you get a front row ticket. And yep. by golly, we've got the freaks to prove it. Yep, absolutely. Um, and I know there's probably people still in the listenership who who are who are on Team Trump and and want to rally around somebody. And and I can understand the desire for that, the desire to have hope, and want wanting to think that there's a path forward but um speaking speaking if i may for a moment for nurse claire and dr beep in absentia um especially he's still he's still mr operation warp speed he's still he's committed trump has has committed crimes against humanity uh pushing these injections participating in the COVID scam but but 
especially pushing the injections and still he's still owning that and he's still acting like he's proud of that and that you know claiming that he saved hundreds of millions of lives by by mandating that people have either either be injected with this this poison this obvious poison or lose their livelihoods um you guys you you, you gotta you gotta hold him to account for that these are these are crimes against humanity on a scale that has never occurred before the thing that um nurse claire was just uh bringing to all of our attention is that yes they have le they have finally answered the question um is does donated blood have these spike proteins in it are they observable can you test and measure um spike proteins in donated blood from people who have had the death injections and the answer is yes so she's making the point kids e even you know if i if i if i and barnhart get hit by a bus tomorrow and end up having to have some sort of an emergency blood transfusion i could end up with it being in exactly the same position as all these other people who are dropping dead of myocarditis and blood clots and all this other garbage because i could be given that i could be given the spike proteins and de facto essentially be contaminated with the mrna substance um just by virtue of of having to get some sort of an emergency blood transfusion so we 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 can all sit here and it doesn't matter how focused on this and tuned in and how much we understand all this we're just one accident away from being in exactly the same boat and being de facto injected with this crap ourselves against our will so and Donald J Trump is was absolutely instrumental and continues to defend this and um I, I don't know. It's just people are so willing to, to, it reminds me, and I've talked about this many times before, but it reminds me back in the day when I was living in Denver and was following the Denver Broncos and everything. And they would, they would bring some guy in who was doing, dealing drugs, doing drugs, beating women, et cetera, et cetera, just an absolute thug criminal. And when he was outside when he was on another team other than the denver broncos then he was a this was all acknowledged and this guy's no good and he's a thug but as soon as that he was traded and the denver broncos acquired him well then all that could be overlooked and oh it's he's he's just such a fantastic wide receiver or whatever it is you know yeah, he was a and thug with the raiders but now that he's our thug he's cool he's cool yeah and i i just that always just made my skin crawl always 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 and um it, it it has that same feeling you know it's like we're watching we're watching the sports ball we're watching the kayfabe politics and as long as so and so is on is on my team then everything's cool and uh super nerd you sent me uh, just a smoking hot meme fiery meme it was uh, the one off riffing off of that famous um kitschy um poster wall hanging about the the footprints in the sand and it was um yes. except it, 
instead of our Lord, it was they were they were snarkily attributing it to to Trump. And it, what was what was the caption? It said, um, "Oh, the the the, the caption were you was carrying me." Yeah. Are, are those the footprints you made while carrying me, Mr. Trump? And the response is, is heavens no. I was I was on vacation while you were in jail. By by the way, thanks for protesting. Yeah, and, and, it, it's true. And and to the point <laughs> that he still is very proud of the fact that that he's the one that that delivered. Uh, the jab through Operation Warp Speed and all the rest. The heartening thing here is that the Trump true believers are starting to fraction because when he has mentioned this at his rallies, that's the one time he gets booed. And I don't remember in 2016 or 2012 him ever getting booed like that from his own supporters in his own rallies. Right. So that that's yeah. some good news. And there's not much, but but still, I mean, everybody's just... He's gonna be, he's gonna be some darn near eighty-year-old man, um, who's who's committed crimes against humanity, that everybody's going to enthusiastically agitate to have "quote unquote" installed in Washington D.C. I, I mean, where was Carl Denninger goes off on this a lot? He was constantly promising about going after Hillary Clinton and the famous the famous phrase lock her up I'm going to lock her up etc cetera, etc cetera. as soon as he got into office he called the his attorney general he called those dogs off and Hillary Clinton was never touched Hillary Clinton she's she paid what is the what's the news today she paid an $8000 fine for using campaign funds to pay for the steel dossier and no, eight eight thousand dollar fine. I mean, what what is that's that's nothing. That's that's absolutely nothing. Not to a multimillionaire and like her. He, no. No, it's it's zero. Well, the and judge so, is afraid of getting killed. I suppose. I I suppose that might be part of it. Um, I don't know. But why didn't Trump follow through? Why didn't he touch her? And the point that I've been making for years and years and years by posting the very famous photograph. Who sat in the front row of, of Trump and Melania's putative wedding in the place of honor sitting in front of Trump's own children where Trump's deceased parents would have been, would have been seated? Who sat in those places when Trump married Melania? It was Hillary and Chelsea Clinton and Bill Clinton flew in. He didn't attend the ceremony, but he attended the uh, the reception. And there's pictures of all of this. And okay, we have to think rationally and reasonably and uh, not let this this infection of the mindset of uh, uh, American bread and circuses sports ball that that everybody has fallen for map onto map onto politics map onto this map onto trump that he he's cool he's cool he's a cool thug he's a cool criminal as long as he's on our side and he says nice things about us i mean come on come on this is this is just ridiculous so i don't know i think i think it's all completely fake and i think they're trying to agitate they're trying to agitate civil war. They're trying to agitate. They're tr clearly trying to get another quote unquote January 6th situation going. Um, and I don't know. I don't know if people are going to fall for this or if they're just going to sit and watch it as the 
kayfabe uh, political entertainment theater that it is. Um, I don't know, but there's still there's still people sitting and rotting in jail. The 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 Viking guy has been completely um, vindicated now that the 40, 40,000 hours of, of videos been released and that poor idiot who's probably mentally ill, he's, he's still rotting in prison, isn't he? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Viking guys still there. There's a bunch of them that are, that are still sitting there. Nothing done. Um, oh, and be careful of conspiracy crap that, that is coming out now. Uh, the last one I saw was, uh, who, who was the woman who was shot and killed on January 6th? The, Ashley Babbitt. Yeah, Ashley Babbitt. Now there's stuff coming out that she was never shot, that she's still alive and people showing social, social media posts with her still alive. You know, be careful when crap like this comes up because people, people who um, tend to disbelieve the media tend to want to latch onto something like that. And it's the kind of thing that is easily used to discredit you. So yeah, don't absolutely. repeat and retweet things unless you can see it multi-sourced. I mean, you almost have to become a real journalist um, not that we even know what those are anymore because we haven't had them for a long time, but, uh, you've got to verify things, but it reminds me a long time ago, I used to listen to a, a radio talk show by a guy named Neil Bortz. And if you're from the Southeast United States around Atlanta, you probably heard of that guy, but he used to open up, uh, every other Monday morning telling you that sometime during this week, you know, he said two or three times during this week, I will lie to you. So, and I will purposely tell you a news story, which is completely false. And it's up to you to look things up and verify it for yourself. And don't just take my word for it, which I always thought was a, a really interesting uh, thing that to is. say, whether, yeah. whether it was tongue in cheek or just meant to light a fire under you to not trust the media. I always mm -hmm. liked that. And that was, that was kind of a cool thing that he said, but don't, don't believe everything coming across social media because some of it is absolutely disinfo uh, to to make you look stupid if you if you retweet it. Absolutely. And I mean this this circles back to what we kind of started this little segment with is talking about the FBI and the infiltrations and all that. That's that's exactly what we're talking about now. The FBI, the they're some of the ones and I absolutely know for a fact. I don't know, should we expose you do you know the um the paid troll who's paid to just put anything and everything all day every day accusing me and other other trad catholics of just you know the sun goes behind a cloud and and i get accused of of being the one who's responsible for it anybody shoots anybody and um the person who did this is clearly a, a trad ma a trad mass catholic who is a fan of ann barnhart and that's why they went and shot up whatever they did you know who i'm talking about they, at that, first i was going to say which one but the, the more you you uh, elaborated here yeah i do know who you're talking about it, it's all the same person i, I wouldn't you, identify them because in doing so you would you would, would just magnify their following to the point that they don't deserve but they don't have any following that's the thing that's fascinating these it's and it, it is it's a it's a paid troll the person is tasked the person is employed and receives payment to sit around and do nothing but post all day every day character assassinating type uh what appear to be blog posts and all it's designed to do is to pollute if somebody types my name into a search engine 
this these blogs that this person is running and it's all under the same name it's all the same person you can pull up their their profile and i think at this point they've got there, there must be at least a dozen blogs of various and sundry different names um and yeah google all poisoning the the, yeah google poisoning they're designed to pollute the space they're designed to, to character assassinate and pollute somebody's name if you type it into a search engine nobody reads them they get no comments you know it takes two seconds to figure out this person isn't even catholic all they're doing is massive copy paste things and then saying um ann barnhart is personally responsible for this this mass shooting um this mat this latest mass shooter must clearly be a latin mass catholic etc cetera, etc cetera. well you know it, the government is is literally paying people as a job to sit around and do this this person makes multiple posts per day every day and this has been going on for over 10 years this started with me as soon as i burned the quran which was april 3rd so the anniversary is coming up april 3rd 2011. so we're coming up on 12 years ago now that I really legit got on the what what now it's pretty clear it's the FBI that's been specifically tasked with this sort of stuff that I came on their radar they immediately had to character assassinate me in order to so that I didn't they wanted to keep the traction that I got down because Terry Jones was was the Terry Jones if you don't remember he was the where is he from arkansas or missouri or something i think he was from the ozark somewhere and he was a you know a do-it-yourself protestant quote-unquote pastor and he he did a korean burning and he just chucked the thing on the fire and um and he got all kinds of national global attention and we're gonna what are we gonna do we're gonna arrest this guy lindsey graham is talking about how burning koran should be people who burn koran should be should be prosecuted and so on and so forth okay so wasn't terry so jones I, in florida because i do remember that story oh, florida and, that's right he was down in florida i, yep, I remember absolutely. i remember that story long before i ever heard of you in fact i heard of you it was the um i don't even, i don't know if it was a before or after the going galt thing i think it was probably after what so was that would that would have been well after jones hold on i did mine in let's see and of course defacing a, um, a quran with bacon is is um, a thing too and that's terry jones didn't use the bacon bookmarks but no, i see no, i see no. that and the, he didn't read any of it that was my critique if you're gonna burn a book explain why you're doing it and you know read passages from it and say that's why this thing needs to be burned okay here it is here it is uh terry jones pastor uh small non-denominational christian church located in gainesville florida okay so uh, yeah he was so florida um, man he was on yeah he's a he's florida man um, he was on the Southern Poverty Law Center list as one of one of the ten people in the United States anti-Muslim inner, inner circle. Well, whatever he was just a he was just a guy who was running a you know a storefront little schismatic fake church. Um, let's see when did he do when did he do it? Um, October no. 
No, he must have done it like in 2010? Something like that? That was kind of late to the game, wasn't it? Well, if I did, he he was big news in the spring of 2011, because that's when I did mine. So, uh, I'm just scrolling through his, um, just the wiki page and trying to find the date of when he did the thing. The plan to burn Korans was first announced on Twitter on July 12, 2010, and was promoted on Facebook and YouTube. Yeah, so he must have done it. He must have done it sometime in the in the summer or fall of 2010. Yeah, and so I mean, and the the FBI and the mainstream media colluded to magnify him. I mean, God forgive me, but per- precisely because he was Florida man, you know? I mean, he was not he was not a good face for for the movement. He he was easy to caricature and make fun of as just some, you know, some dumb southern uh pastor, you know. Well, and, this goes back to to not trusting the people that the media put forward to either believe or be angry at. Uh, everyone thinks that Rosa Parks was the the person who refused to get off the bus and 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 was the symbol of of um whatever that was supposed to be, I guess um black people and black women uh, refusing to be bossed around. She was the second or third person to do it. The first person was a 14-year-old unmarried pregnant girl, and they couldn't have her because she wasn't a, a good uh, front person. Right. Uh, Rosa Parks was a, a bona fide card-carrying communist. That's why she was the one chosen, even though she wasn't even close to the first person in Alabama to do the civil disobedience and get arrested for refusing to give up her spot on the bus. So mm-hmm. don't trust the media on crap like this. Don't trust the media on anything. It's pretty much pretty much sound advice at this point. But it's, yeah, the, and also that's a great point, that this has been going on for decades and decades and decades. This business of the FBI um, manipulating media and culture and um, advancing this person and suppressing that person. This has been going on. I mean, the FBI and J. Edgar Hoover, the whole thing has been a train wreck since the very, very beginning. Um, so it all needs to go away. Do you, do you honestly think that Trump and all of his talk about draining the swamp and getting rid of all this, do you honestly think that he's going to do that? I mean, at the, at this point, you you can't do that without fighting a war. You're not voting your way out of this, as we said before. There's you've got to get your heads around that. That there's there's not going to be any. The pendulum is not going to organically, naturally swing back the other way on this. It's too far gone. It's way too far gone, and it's been too far gone for decades. You know, I've been saying that the U.S. no longer exists since 2008 when the the Obama usurpation happened. I think that will go down, you know, decades and centuries hence, if our Lord does not return in glory. Um, the, the Obama usurpation, I think, will go down historically as when the United States of America cease, cease to actually exist. That will be the line. And now we're into this this phase and 
it will, I don't know what they'll call it, I don't know what they'll name it, but I guess po the post-American empire or some, something like that. But that's what we're in right now. And it's just a matter of time before China makes a move. And again, that was the last item on my list of things that were going to happen, the collapse of the United States, and it will all end, it will all end with Chinese boots on the ground in North America. And people were saying, you're insane, you're nuts, you're crazy. And at this point, I think a lot of people are, are, have basically come around to my position and imagine how much worse this has gotten in the last 15 years since 2008 of looking at the United States military and realizing that, yeah, China has a, a standing army and a, a base of, of available men of fighting age who are actually men. There, and we don't have that anymore. The, the U.S. military is filled with obese sex perverts and and women I mean, it's it's I, I don't understand what the chinese are waiting for is i am i am perpetually shocked that they aren't making a move because people are realizing that the united states military is just com is is a paper tiger it's it's 1000% a paper tiger um and well, it, and not it has been for a while I, we could deal a serious blow to them, and I don't mean nuclear, but in terms of how long could we sustain it, it reminds me of a podcast from Dan Carlin years ago when he posed the question, who would win a war between the generation who fought World War II and the generation who fought World War I? I think that was the scenario. And he posited mm -hmm. that the generation that fought World War I would have mopped the floor with the World War II generation because they had it comparatively easy. Or maybe mm -hmm. it was generation, maybe it was, maybe it was the modern generation versus World War II. And he was talking about this, like in, in terms of the eighties and we've gotten so easy, so soft. We, we have no yeah. sense of, of doing the arduous good. And my goodness, yeah. it's gotten worse. It, it's gotten exponentially worse just in the last 20 years. Yeah. I mean, good grief. I mean, now we're talking about pronoun crap that uh, oh, yeah. I mean, junior enlisted big, people can dress down uh, flag officers for misgendering them. This yeah. is stupid. What are, what are we arguing about here? Yep. And have they, what are they doing in terms of, do they want to have girls do, uh, registering for selective service? And there's a movement for that, isn't there? Isn't there? And there's, there's no sign, greater sign of a degenerate culture than conscripting women and children to fight in wars. I mean, that's just... I have no that's idea. That's about as low if, as you can go, you know? I have no idea if girls are being made to sign up for selective service. I know I signed up when I was 18, but I, I don't, don't, know, what, I don't know what the current yet, rules are. But I think, I think there's agitation to make it all... Everybody has to register for the selective service by their at their 18th birthday or whatever that is. Yeah. Okay, but if if boys and girls have to sign up for selective service at 18, what about the other 31 genders? Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Or is the other meme that I shared with you recently? No, there's only two genders, but there's 31 flavors of gay. Yeah. And that and somebody needs to redo that because remember, gender is a is only a linguistic concept. It has nothing to do with reproduction, 
physical anatomy, nothing like that. Th that word is sex. There are only two sexes. Um, and that's one of the things that, that the other side has done is they've co-opted the very word gender um, and turned it into this big, huge thing that it is now. And the truth of the matter is, is that the word gender correctly only refers to language. So as most of the most of the listenership has either studied Spanish or maybe French, and you remember that nouns are either masculine or feminine. And if you studied German, you know that there's masculine, feminine, and neuter, and the same in Latin. Latin nouns are masculine, feminine, or neuter. Um, English, modern English has lost, has lost linguistic gender. That is the only thing that the word gender, ref the, the word gender refers to. It's sex. There are two sexes. Uh, there's the male sex and the female sex, and that's it. And then there's 31 flavors of gay, sodomite, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. M mental disease is mental, really what it boils down to. Mental illness. Mental illness. Yep. Absolutely. So. All of the oh, things man. the demons tempt us into, but they don't want to look at if they go, if we actually do it. It's so, it's so bad that they can't stand it because it's, it's repellent to their to their angelic nature even as demons even as demons they have to withdraw and that's the testimony of our lord himself to saint catherine of siena did i think you got the link recently there was a link to a father riviger talk talking about the psychology of angels and um that that aspect came up as well the idea that even the demons because father riviger is a an exorcist and he, he he talks about some of the some of the interactions he has with the demons from from um from his work in that respect which always kind of makes me raise an eye it's like are you supposed to talk about that even I even know. for the edification yeah. of people but one of the interesting things he mentioned was that uh, lucifer and, and i know that we've talked about this before why why did lucifer reject the the divine plan and he said that lucifer's mission had he not fallen would have been to enlighten, bring light, the light bearer, to enlighten right. our lady, to be more humble and to be more um, sacrificial than she already was going to be just the way that you know her, her natural inclinations were, which is mind-boggling to think of because our lady's, uh, our, our lady's sanctity is so great that it eclipses all the angels and all the humans put together. And Lucifer's job, had he stuck to the plan, would be to encourage her to even higher heights. And it makes sense wow. that the absolute highest angel would be given the role to enlighten the absolute highest created being to even higher heights of sanctity. And he said, no, that beauty is for me, not for her. Oh. Wow. How and how did Father Ripperger? How does he come to this information? Are the are the demons during his exorcisms, like saying this? Are they explaining it or? I don't know. Did, do do you know? I can put the That's link in the show notes, and there's some very funny anecdotes that he throws in there as well, talking about how, you know, things like, for example, women talk a lot more than men, and this is a perfection mm -hmm. of nature. And he 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 puts this together with a couple of anecdotes of of children, a boy and a girl, to be fair, raised. Um, to like the age of adolescence, never having spoken with anybody. So they had no no ability to speak. And you know, once they were 
Um, they, they, they weren't retarded or stupid. Just nobody, they never learned to talk. And, um, mm -hmm. when, when, um, educators tried to teach them to be able to speak and communicate and whatnot, they had almost no ability to grasp the concept, or maybe they had no ability to grasp the concept of definite articles like the and, and, or a, uh, things like that. And in, the the point father was getting at is the the natural inclination for women to talk the what has been proven is that uh, mothers talking to children especially from from newborn to two years old if that does not happen then pathways for language and concepts to be formed and of course all of the knowledge we get comes through the senses so if you don't have the gift of language and being able to understand things you cannot mm -hmm. understand some of the higher uh, realities and truths of God. But if these, mm -hmm. if these pathways are not exercised by having a mother talking to you by the age of two or three, your brain will never develop them. So it's a form of passive brain damage. And so yeah. father is making the point that for women to talk as much as they do, and, and it's scientifically provable that they get like 10 times the, the, um, uh, chemical uh, pleasure from talking that men do. And any man mm -hmm. listening to this is going to nod and say, yeah, I, I understand this. Yep. His point is that this is an excellence of women to have this inclination to talk, but it's for children, not for their husbands. It's interesting, but it makes perfect sense. Yeah, absolutely. Just uh, sitting and, and thinking about your own personal experiences and especially with like uh, teenage boys, I've found um, – getting getting them to talk can be just like pulling chicken teeth they are not they are not inclined to talk um and it's not because you know they're you know scared of talking to a woman i mean teenage boys that you know it's um it's hard to get them to talk and yeah you, you can just kind of see that and uh, what am I, i'm thinking of um the animated the animated show king of the hill where you know the the famous scene from from that show is those four men standing out in the alley they're all they're all holding holding a beer and drinking a beer and just one at a time each one of them will say yep yep <laughs> and that's and that's that's their conversation you know that is that is what constitutes the the masculine uh, a very standard and normal masculine verbal interaction just not saying much just hanging out and yep <laughs> and it's true it's absolutely true now was that cartoon done by the same guy that did beavis and butthead yeah mike judge yep yeah and yeah. he's the same Indeed. person who came up with the movie office space which i insist is a documentary and anybody yeah, who's worked yeah. in cubicle land knows that's a documentary it's a grandized yep. but it's a documentary this this whole conversation gives me a new appreciation for mike judge as being a a um somebody who is an observer of human nature because contrast this to the other uh, cartoons of the ilk. It's all a form of perversion. I'm, I'm thinking of family guy and, and um, the guy who, oh, yeah. who's behind oh. all that. That's he as a flaming McFarlane. dumpster fire. Oh my, oh my goodness. Just the, the lots of blasphemy in the family guy. Uh, you just, you just can't, if you if anyone ever sends you clips or, or clips populate like in YouTube of Family Guy, don't don't click on it. That is so bad. And the guy's name is Seth MacFarlane. Yeah, Mike Judge. Kind of the more he does, the more you almost you almost sort of respect him as being kind of a 
uh, clandestine uh, crypto conservative floating around in Hollywood. And I, I, you know, obviously I haven't had TV since 2009, but King of the Hill was on before 2009. In fact, I think King of the Hill probably started in the late 90s or the early aughts. So, I mean, I've seen it and I don't, I don't recall any, I don't think there's any sex perverts or anything in it to my, to my recollection. I don't think it's, I don't remember there being anything just horrifically immoral in it like that. It was just kind of a commentary on, on white middle class, um, small, uh, small, smallish town, Texas people. And, um, it, the, it always seemed to have fairly, fairly decent morals and, and underpinnings. So yeah, in retrospect, it's pos it's positively, <laughs> it's positive. It's, <laughs> it's not quite the Andy Griffith show by comparison, but it, but rela in relation to everything else in the mainstream media now, it is pretty much on the level relatively speaking of the Andy Griffith show. So for, for its time and for our time. Yeah. yeah. Compared to what yeah. else is on it is. Well, and I say that yeah. and I say that trusting what, how, what you're talking about. I never watched family guy uh, or no, I'm sorry. I never actually, that's true. I've never watched family guy either. I never watched King of the Hill. I never watched Beavis and butthead either. I, I, I'm one of these people who never watched MTV growing up. I was aware of what it was, and what was going on, I discovered this character, Adam Curry, as a technologist and not as a VJ. So I know mm -hmm. I'm, I'm way outside of the norm in that respect. I never watched E.T. and a whole bunch of other things either. So I grew up in the 80s, but somehow I missed part of it, which is probably a good thing. Oh, and you speak of Adam Curry. Um, can you give us an update on the <laughs> the Pray for Adam Curry and Adam Curry's conversion project that we're kind of working on here on the on the podcast and and you in particular there's there's been new developments right didn't he go on rogan or something and and basically say yes i am i now identify as christian or i think he went a little further than that to be honest and i was a little surprised when i heard it but i gotta switch over to my uh show note wrap-up page because i had a, a bit on that there and uh, yeah he went on rogan and he not only professes that uh he is christian but that christ is god and and he you know, he's still quite new to this, um, but he laid out a, a, for lack of better terms, an apologesis or apologetics to Joe Rogan. And Taylor Marshall had a really good breakdown of that section of, of the interview with Joe Rogan and Adam, or Adam Curry and, and um, making the comment kind of play by play of, of how Joe Rogan goes from, you know, changing his, I don't believe this to then dissecting and, and questioning certain things to ending kind of being, okay, I'm, I'm open to learning more kind of thing. And also being somewhat critical, but not in a negative sense, like hammering. I'm like, you idiot. But yeah, just that he didn't know this um, of, of dissecting, you know, how Adam could have answered this question better. And I, I thought it was really interesting is that Adam actually saw this review that Taylor did and replied. So that that's really interesting. Uh, Adam Curry's got a large following and some of them are actually like quite a few of them are traditional Catholics and, yeah. and uh, they, they, they know about uh, the prayer agenda and that uh, Adam and John have both authorized anybody who wants to, to pray for them on their behalf. And if you're not familiar with the idea of prayers of agency, that is, more or less morally the same as if they had prayed the prayers themselves. So if you want to offer a novena uh, to the Holy ghost, 
in the name and on behalf of Adam Curry. That would be as though he's praying it himself. And he might get spiritual lights that he never would have gotten otherwise had somebody not offered that. Uh, if you want to send a donation to a traditional Carmelite uh, convent and ask them to pray for the intentions of Adam and John, hey, that's the that's the nuclear artillery of the church militant. They that's that's a a a, a prayer intention that's going to yield some results. Yeah. Um, so, or have masses said for them. I mean, uh, John is a lapsed Catholic. Um, remind remind the listenership who John is. Uh, John is John C. Dvorak. He's a tech columnist. Um, he, he wrote for PC magazine for a long time. Of course, you have to have gray hair to understand who, who he is exactly. But, uh, he, he made a comment recently on one of the, um, no agenda shows. In fact, the top that we topic we started off with FBI versus traditional Catholics that came up on no agenda and the whole, I, whole topic of radical traditional Catholics, uh, people who go to the Latin mass and John interjected, well, if I was still Catholic, that would be me. It's like, maybe he mm-hmm. doesn't know those Catholics still exist. When I got married, yeah. um, when I got married, it was the first time at the fraternity chapel that I went to that we had a traditional, uh, a, a solemn high uh, uh, wedding where we got the picnic table out of the way and had a proper setup. And I invited some friends from work uh, who had gotten to know over the years. And one of the particular friends, her husband, um, I think these are, she's a much older lady and her, and her husband is older as well, which makes sense. But, um, he didn't know that the Latin mass still existed. And yeah. I, m- I remember the feedback from them going to our wedding was, I didn't know this mass still existed. I want to go here. I want to, I want to go to mass tomorrow because this was a Saturday. Yeah. Of course it's like, I want to, and I don't, I, I should have followed up. I mean, I was, I was busy. I just gotten married and things that go as a result from that. But I, I, that was, that was a, a these these opportunities for grace come about and pray for people, especially when they give you the opportunity to pray for them. Ask them, say, may I pray for you on your behalf? And may I yeah. forward this on to other people? Adam and John said yes. So anybody who wants to pray for them, pray for them. And we got to get these boys in. <laughs> yes. Man I mean, they, they, are, they are really, they are very effective at uncovering truth. And I say that with a lowercase mm-hmm. T. I, I, I tweeted something on Twitter, which is where you tweet things, um, a few weeks back, um, where I used the word, you know, the word truth twice, once with the lowercase t and once with the capital K, capital T. Um, right. They they are aggressive at going at the truth of things, whether it's uh, coronaviruses, what's going on with certain things in legislation. But Adam especially is coming more around to capital T truth. And John is not yeah, closed I mean, off to it, which... Honestly, coming, coming I, to the realization that the truth is is a person and is incarnate is just it's it's probably the biggest mind blower in the human experience. I I would think making making that intellectual apprehension and comprehending that that two plus two equals four is actually um a manifestation of of the personal godhead i mean it's just it's it's unbelievable uh, <laughs> no pun intended there but once you get it and once you make that leap and the world the world makes a lot more sense in a lot of ways uh, certainly um and i i feel i feel terrible for for people who 
who don't have that realization or who subscribe to false religions like Islam in which that that is denied, that that truth about God is denied. Um, and it, uh, it, it, it makes life, it makes life pleasant in a certain, in a certain sort of way. You're not afraid all the time. you you can, you, you can trust that, that the universe makes sense and there's a cohesion to it. And there's a, there's a trajectory and a path to everything. It makes you much more able to, um, trust in the divine providence and trust that even things that appear to be to be negative and unpleasant in in the moment in real time that all events are driving towards the good because you're going all the way back to that base premise that that god is himself the truth and that he is incarnate that truth is a is a personal is a personal concept in the second person of the triune godhead and yeah it's uh you know this whole notion that that being an orthodox believing christian is some arduous arduous thing and you have to adhere to all these rules and it's so hard and this and that and it's nothing could be further from the truth it it makes it makes just the experience of being a human being so much easier so tremendously more um Easier is the only word I'm coming up with. Um, and I think the fact that culture is fallen, obviously civilization is falling, falling away from the church, falling away from this truth. I mean, it's obvious by how just whacked people are. And what is it? More than, more than half of 55% of, of females between the age of 18 and 30 in the United States have now been formally diagnosed at some point in their life with mental illness. Everybody's on drugs. Nobody can cope with anything. Um, again, because if you're the more detached you are from the entire concept and reality of the truth being a person and that person being incarnate, just deal, dealing with life as a human being is exponentially more difficult. Um, well, the humorous so, way of putting that is that uh, the, I think the statistic is that 25% of women are being treated for mental illness these days, which means 75% are untreated. But the real, <laughs> the real tragedy <laughs> is here, what percentage are being taught the truth? That's the real mental sanity. Yeah. Are we down yeah. to single digits at this point? Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, consider walk into the average Novus Ordo Parish. In North America, 90, the high 90, and I think it's in the high 90th percentile now of people who are showing up with whatever frequency at a Novus Ordo Catholic parish do not believe that contraception is a sin. Um, more than half of them believe that abortion should be legal. Way more than half of them now have no problem with sodomy and, in fact, think that sodomites should be able to, quote unquote, marry. I mean, yeah. And this, again, the subset that we're talking about here is those few Catholics, relatively speaking, who actually darken, darken the door of a church. And I'm not talking every week, just at any time. And so within that, 
that small subset because I mean, what's what's been the attrition rate since Vat- since the Novus Ordo Mass was promulgated? I mean, it's got it's got to be in the 90, 90% range. That's why they're closing all these churches. All of those churches that they're now closing and consolidating, those churches were built because they were needed. And, you know, they, they had masses going on all morning, every morning, um, however many masses, on, public masses on Sunday mornings, all of those side chapels, et cetera, et cetera. Um, those churches were all built because they were needed. And now mass attendance, weekly mass attendance of Novus Ordo Catholics has to be in the single digits. And of, of just Catholics, quote unquote Catholics in general, as the, as the broader category, the ones, you know, the Christmas and Easter ones or, or even that, that's got to be in the low single digits at this point. I don't understand how it could not be. Nobody's people don't go to mass. People don't people do not believe that the commandment of of uh, keeping the Sabbath holy is any sort of a thing at all. Well, at you all. say Christmas and Easter, but I think that's even down to the point of just uh, baptism, weddings, and funerals. Yeah, exactly. It's it's yep. not it's not even about uh, religious observance and holy days. It's about hatch, match, and dispatch. That's all it's down to. Right. Most most people do not partake of any liturgy on Christmas Day. I remember as a kid when Christmas would fall on a Sunday, how weird it felt to go to church on Christmas Day. You know, um, it's it, m- most Americans today. Well, well, it's Christmas. You don't. Why would why would you go to church? You know, <laughs> seriously, people seriously think that way. So it's true. It's true. Oh, it, it brings to mind Luke eighteen eight. When the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on earth? Will he find faith on earth? That's right. Yep. And I don't know that off the top huh. of my head. I had to go Google it real quick while we were talking. Yeah, I was going to say you're Catholic. You don't you don't know the Bible chapter chapter and verse. You had to look that up, didn't you? <laughs> okay. Um, I don't remember exactly how we <laughs> what tangent we took off from there. Uh, I think this was. We did a whole pre-show conversation about what we were going to talk about, and we've not talked about hardly any of those things at this point. So that's awesome. Oh, I know, I know. This this all led off of talking about FBI versus trads versus Trumps and all the rest. Yeah. And the the question that people have uh, didn't you have a question that somebody submitted of why aren't the bishops saying or doing anything about this? Why aren't they protesting the fact that the FBI is is trying to infiltrate Latin mass communities and all of this? The answer to that is very simple. It's because the bishops hate the Latin mass, too. Most of them remember, boy, at this point, um, it's it's probably north of 90 percent of bishops are are homosexuals. And so they are themselves infiltrators. And they, of course, hate and despise Catholicism, God, and, of course, the right worship of God in the Holy and August Sacrifice of Calvary. And so they look at the, the Latin mass communities and they see the enemy. They want it destroyed. They despise it. 
And so they're not saying anything about these revelations and these memos that the FBI is, in fact, trying to character assassinate, infiltrate, set up, um, entrap um, Latin mass communities because the bishops are in favor of this. They want the Latin mass communities to be vilified. They want this to happen. Um, so... I mean, even even the most benign of the bishops just have a ignore them and they'll go away. So even if and 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 we are again, I I always try to remind people both in person and here in the context of the podcast and the website. You have to remember we're all as traditional Catholics, we're all kind of keeping in our own little circle and. You know, we're we're looking at Canon 212 and reading all the headlines every day, and we know all of this stuff. We are minuscule. Our numbers are absolutely minuscule. Now, are they growing? Yes, absolutely they are. But they're still minuscule. And we we have this, and I think this is this is natural. It's very much in human nature to overinflate your own group, you know, your own your your own um your own tribe, as it were, because that's who you see and that's who you talk to. And so it's it gets easy to fall into that mental trap that, well, there's a lot more of us than it than there really are or or, you know, thinking that that the world just revolves around around us. Well, in a certain sense, the world does. The world absolutely does revolve around the mass, but um, revolving around us as a demographic. Um, we we highly overestimate our numbers and our clout and so on and so forth. We are absolutely minuscule. But then that's interesting in and of itself because why is why is the FBI focusing on trying to tear us down? Why does Bergoglio hate us so much? Even though we're just a handful, we're just a tiny little handful. And again, you have to, as, I, as I've said for years and years, you have to get into the habit of pulling back the, the, the lens, pulling back and getting the big overarching picture. It's who's, who's ultimately driving all this at the end of the day? It's Satan. Who's behind and who is driving anti-Pope Bergoglio and the anti-church? Is it those men? Is it those sodomites? Is it those, you know... Those atheists who are just in it for money, sodomy, uh, lifestyle, et cetera, et cetera. No, you have to pull your focus back, 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 back until you see the whole picture, the big picture, and remember who's driving all of it, and it's Satan. So Satan understands the power of, of the traditional liturgy and the right worship of God, um, and so he's the one and and everybody should you know take a little bit of a clue from this and that that's a scary what? realization too is it, it you it's a reflex principle of what the enemy is attacking exactly satan knows which liturgies are effective satan knows which yeah. languages are effective it, yeah. it it's something where you know that exorcist not talking about the previous priest I was referring to exorcist mentioned that saying the prayers of exorcism or any prayers around a possessed people, if you say it in English, it's got some effect. Say it in Latin mm-hmm. or Greek, it's got a very different effect. And yeah. it reminds me, goodness, I haven't thought about this in, since it happened back in 93. Um, 
I was in boot camp and uh, I was on pulling duty one night for whatever it was I had to do. And there was somebody in, in the uh, barracks division who was in trouble for some reason. And I, and I was called down to help restrain this person. And I was not, I, I started, I was, I was concerned. It's like, what, uh, what influence is this person under? And I started saying a prayer, not even audible to myself in Latin. And this person looked at me and said, Oh, you're a good boy. I'm like, Really? Ah. Is that what we're dealing with here? Yep. Isn't that interesting? Yep. Absolutely. So, and the point you just made is is basically the point that I'm wanting to come to. Look look at what Satan is at war against. If if Satan is at, is at war against us being the teeny tiny itty bitty microscopic faction that we are you have to stop and ask yourself why 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 would lucifer be at war against such a teeny tiny little group and the reason is is because we're the ones who are the closest to the truth we have the we have the liturgy of the church the right worship of god we are the threat to his kingdom being a threat to his kingdom, even though we are microscopic, relatively speaking, in numbers, we are the threat. And so that maps then out onto, obviously, anti-Pope Bergoglio and the anti-church that he fronts and is trying to replace the tr- destroy the true church and replace it with his ape church, um, their ape church. And it's also why, for example, the U.S. government, the FBI, is 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 spending uh, you know time and money and resources trying to infiltrate and entrap a teeny tiny tiny little group of people you know and you just ask yourself why why don't the bishops say anything why aren't the bishops out outraged because the bishops are in favor of this the bishops want the the TLM communities and most of them want the, the Latin mass to go away. Why? Because they themselves are infiltrators. Most of them are sodomites, and so they hate God, they hate his holy church, and they hate the right worship of him. And they want to tear the whole thing down and replace it with a gay sodomy cult. Um, and Germany is is leading the way in that. The Germans, the German church should be put under interdict. It should have been put under interdict a long time ago. And if for listenership, if you don't know what that means, that means um, when uh, Rome would declare an entire uh, nation state or, or group of people to be completely outside the church and you could only get back, you, you could only get back in on a case by case basis, basically, is what it boils down to. That is, that's how bad the situation in Germany is. Sacraments suspended, whole... except in case yes. of death. Sacraments suspended in, in case, except in case of death, um, risk of death. And yeah, it has to just, you have to go through one by one, priest by priest, bishop by bishop. You have to just go one by one and start rebuilding the thing um, because it's that far gone. Um, it's... Now the fact that, how do I phrase that? Just to, just to walk into a church in Germany, and to some extent also there's a lot of this stuff going on in Austria too. Just to walk into a church at this point is potentially 
spiritually dangerous. What do I mean by that? Um, the news that I just saw within, I think, the last 48 hours is, I believe it's in Austria, um, the church, with the approval of the, of the local bishop, they've installed a giant sculpture of, um, a, wo of a woman's genitalia. It's a, it's a big vulva, is the, is the anatomical term. And, and they explicitly say this is what this is for um, Women's Day or, or Feminist Day or whatever it is. And they've got this thing installed hanging over the high altar of a church in Austria. So and the pictures of it are just it's the saddest thing in the world because it's just some beautiful, gorgeous, Baroque church. Absolutely splendid. And then hanging over the high altar, they've they've installed a giant, basically satanic sculpture of women's genitalia. It's 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 clearly Luciferian, clearly. But this is de rigueur. This is this is I mean, this is to be expected at this point in in Germany. Austria. Um, the Germans are the ones who they have now declared that they're going to start basically start doing de facto sodomite weddings. They're calling that they're calling them blessings, blessings of any people who are involved in a loving relationship. You can go into a Catholic church in Germany now, and they're they're basically have a right where you can do what what looks what looks externally like a like a wedding um and notice how they phrase that any people who are involved in a quote unquote loving relationship so this is not just sodomites we're talking about polyamory we're talking about you know anything like that um it's it's people there's no age restrictions on any of this i mean it's all it's also Luciferian. So the word I picked up on when you were talking about that was blessings. And strictly speaking, a wedding is is contracted between the two parties, who the, the, the man and the woman who are getting married. They are the ministers of the sacrament. The priest is the witness for the church, and then he blesses the wedding. Yes. That is confected by the two people getting married. So when these German degenerates are talking about giving blessings for loving couples. They are using actually sacramental terms for what the priests do for a wedding. The priest doesn't make the wedding happen. They bless it. Oh, right, right. So what it is, is it's actually the aping the church and making it appear that the church is blessing and ratifying um, sodomy and sinful, sinful genital acts. So it, the, the blessing, what the blessing actually, what they're driving towards and what Lucifer wants is the appearance that the church is blessing acts of sodomy in and of themselves. Because those are the people who are presenting for, for these, you know, faux pseudo weddings. They're people who are engaging in sodomy and sinful genital acts with each other. And that is what the infiltrators and what Lucifer wants to have the appearance of being positively blessed by the church. And of course, it isn't. There's no such thing. This is... 
this is sacrilege and blasphemy of the highest order. But that's that's the point, the ratification of sodomy. That is the point. And it's scandalous all the way around, and it's no surprise that even among people who have the faith, they they take scandal in this and start making conclusions about things that go way off the, the rails to the other extreme. I mean, the, the to the left extreme, the, the Novus Ordo types would simply say, oh, this is wonderful, we should do all of this, and to go at the opposite extreme is like, well, this is because we haven't had a pope since 1958, and now this is legitimate, and you know, the church doesn't exist anymore in visible form. Which... And no, nobody's been ordained, and yeah. I mean, according to these people, I've, I've literally, the only sacrament, I, according to those people, the only sacrament Anne Barnhart has ever received is baptism. I've never been to a valid mass. I've never, they're saying, I've never been to a valid mass. They're saying I've never received the Eucharist. They're saying I've never, um, I've never had my sins validly ab- absolved. Because when you, go, when you go off onto that horrific tangent, what you end up with eventually is you sitting alone in your house. You sitting alone in your house, shaking your fist at the world, saying, there, there is, there are no priests. Nobody's ordained. Everything's wrong. And it, once you get addicted, and once you get into that pathway, Satan just keeps keeps uh, closing the walls in on you. And well, he, so, tur- he turns you, know, you in on yourself. And the, on the question, yourself, yeah. the question I would have for those people is, why aren't you saying then your only recourse is to go to the SSPX? Because what other group can you say has unquestionable, legitimate, valid orders? If you want to say that all of the the priests ordained under the new right and therefore all bishops who were ordained as priests under the new right are not valid, let's for the sake of argument accept that for a second. Why are you not saying go to the SSPX then? All, all these people who say, Anne, you've never had any valid sacrament except uh, baptism. You better get to the SSPX. I, I would think that would be, at, at a minimum, what their answer should be. But oh no, because it's just, it, it is a form of Protestantism. It's, ex, it's, it's exactly the same thing. It's just going off in the ditch on the other side of the road. Because what happens is then, well, that, that church, lowercase, isn't good enough. So we have to come up, we have to split off and we have to do our own our and start our own thing that's that's the real Christianity. And then somebody has a fight with somebody in that. And then that's not good enough. So we have to split off from that. And where it ends up is people sitting alone in their houses. It, it reminds me of the story you've told back when you said you were 12 or so, when, when the, uh, the families of the Protestant church got together and decided to fire the pastor because he wasn't preaching the way they liked. It's like, well, wait a minute. Who's really making the rules here? Oh, yeah, exactly, exactly. And so then, it, then it's pre-shopping, and then it's, it's this, that, and the other, and it's, the trajectory is exactly the same. It's a, the human nature is the same. It's all the same, and you can see it. You can see it unfolding, and you can see it happening, and it's it's clear as day, you know. But uh, it's it's tragic. It's really, really, really sad, and you know, watching watching people being scandalized by the Bergoglian anti anti papacy, watching people being scandalized by by the ascent of the anti-church when in fact the whole thing's been prophesied all along i i I really 
it, it, it's it's odd to me that people are surprised by this. It's odd to me that people are are use any of it as a justification for falling into either lapsed faith or or warped and distorted faith. To me, in a weird way, it's edifying. If all of this stuff has been prophesied for thousands of years now, then you have the reiteration of all of the Marian apparitions saying the same thing, of the 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 vision, the 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 uh, miraculous hearing by Leo the Thirteenth of our Lord and and Lucifer, you know, conversing and. You know, our Lord saying, well, you know, go ahead and try, go ahead and try. And then it all it all happens. It all unfolds. All of these prophecies are being are being proven true with each passing day. To me, it's it's oddly edifying. I take I take great encouragement from that. Look, it's all happening. Look, it's all real. All these prophecies, all of these apparitions. This was all real. We were warned that this was going to happen, and now it's happening. I don't understand why that would cause you to lose your faith. I, why, or, or go off into the ditch on either side of the road. Why wouldn't it be edifying to you to say, look, the, these things are true and it's happening and unfolding. And I get, the, I get the honor and privilege of being able to be on the ground and be an eyewitness to it, and even to maybe maybe in a teeny tiny little way even contribute hopefully for the good um i i don't know it's 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 very strange to me if you have studied and really understood the sermon on the mount the the whole thing can be summed up in in the eighth beatitude that blessed are you when you were ridiculed and 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 uh condemned for my name's sake i, I forget mm-hmm. the exact wording because mm-hmm. i'm not protestant but um no the the, the whole idea is is that the, the summary there that if you're doing all of those other things that you're supposed to be doing, the first seven beatitudes, you will be reviled. You will be hated. You'll be cast out. And you mentioned that earlier that, that um, it's, it's all the sex pervert bishops who want to crush the Latin mass and, and are not going to come to the defense of the real faith. That's not the, those aren't the only ones. There are, are a lot of them who are only interested in, in the, the, the money situation of the diocese or just going along to get along. They're actually not perverts. They're not even necessarily opposed to the truth. They just don't want to be, a, they don't want to be the uncool guys. They're, they're pusillanimous. They're weak. They hit, they, they, they it's, it's the, it's not quite the St. Peter situation at, at the house of Caiaphas, but actually it's kind of the same. Actually they're, they're denying Christ, uh, out of out of human respect, so it's either they're 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 perverse in the sexual aspect, or they're they're following Mammon. So you're you you can't follow God and Mammon at the same time, or you yep. have too much respect for the world. I mean, how many other how many bishops don't fall into one of those three categories? Yeah, absolutely. They're careerists. They want um, if they're already bishops, then they want a bigger C. If they're an auxiliary, they want to be a. a, a metropolitan bishop if they're a metropolitan bishop then they want to be an archbishop if they are an archbishop then they want a red hat and they want to live they want to live that life um and and that's their priority and it is it's it's highly political it's go along to get along um it's thinking that that their job is to is to i mean even the best ones of them think that their job is to find the the happy medium you know, and, and please everybody. And 
oh my goodness, it's, 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 human respect is what it all comes down to, basically, and a complete unwillingness to suffer, which is effeminacy. Effeminacy is the vice by which one refuses to do the virtuous good because to do the virtuous good would mean some sort of a reduction in their own personal comfort or personal pleasure. That effeminacy isn't a pejorative that you throw around, and it, it actually isn't, it's not about faggotry. It's per se, lots of fags are effeminate, absolutely, but effeminacy is transcendent. You know, a perfectly heterosexual woman can be effeminate, and, and many of them are, and it's bad, and it's a vice. It is not the same as femininity. Effeminacy is a vice of not wanting to do something that's good because it would reduce your own personal pleasure or comfort. Well, go back and look at St. Teresa of Avila, that her, her, yeah. her desire, give me manly nuns. And what yep. she means by that is don't give me these pusillanimous uh, nuns who can't deal with hardship. They, she wants women who are able to stand up to all the hardships that are going to be thrown at them by the world, the flesh and the devil and do the good thing. Yep. And our Lord told St. Catherine of Siena to whom he was mystically espoused. He told her that she needed to work on de developing the virtue of virility, which is the opposite of, which is on the other side of sloth and effeminacy. So, and, and again, virility, usually we associate that with masculinity, but it, it isn't necessarily. It is, virility is a transcendent virtue. It's good for everybody, including women, to be virile. Um, so, yeah, these, these terms are so wildly misunderstood in the, in the English language today, in the vernacular today. I mean, and they're easily practiced, too. It's just set yeah. your alarm a little bit earlier, get up and then pray on your knees. You're used to waking up at 730 in the morning, set your alarm for six. You're used to getting up at mm -hmm. six, set your alarm for 530 and then go kneel on your knees in front of a crucifix and pray for 15, 20 minutes or do your morning prayers and then read the sacred scriptures. If you're a married guy with a big family like me, get up really early. It's the only time that's ever quiet in the house. That's the best time to pray. Yeah. There's all kinds of opportunities to, you know, talking about virility and, and, and the practice of it, it's, it is in a microcosm, the whole quest for sanctity. If you want it, you will go for it. If mm -hmm. you, if you are lazy, you're going to say, I'd like to, but I'd rather not. But it's Those souls hard. go to hell. You need to be the one that says, what do I need to do for it? Okay. That's what I'm going to do. That's right. And that speaks to the vice of sloth. Sloth is being unwilling to do the virtuous good because it's difficult. Actually, genuinely difficult. It, it involves something. And it involves doing something and, and pushing yourself and, and completing a task that is difficult. And that can be even something as minor as what Super Nerd just said and getting up a little bit earlier. But that falls under the category header of... of of sloth because you're actually doing something but i i suppose it, it is it also would be under the category header of effeminacy because getting up earlier would reduce your own personal comfort and so yeah it, it is uncomfortable in a certain sense 
to get up earlier than you otherwise otherwise would. So it's it's kind of a little bit of both, but sloth sloth is where you won't do something because it's actually hard. And that's just utterly lost today in this culture where everything is driven towards convenience and nobody has any willingness to sacrifice, suffer nothing. And that's and that speaks directly to the economic situation that we're in. Um, et cetera, et cetera. You know, I mean, why does everybody have to have a 4,000 square foot house with granite countertops? And why are people willing to plunge themselves into massive, massive, massive debt in order, in order to get that? It's that softness. It's that softness, that effeminacy, um, whereby just we have to, we have to live in, in the lap of luxury at all times and we can't take anything else, nothing else. And luxury is such a relative term, too. I mean, what lower middle yeah. class people experience in the United States these days would have been unimaginable luxury 250 years ago. Oh, yeah. Even 150. Hot running water? When when did hot running water really start? Um, what, what else that we that we take for granted? <clears throat> running running water at all. Flush toilets. Um, yeah. Educational tutors available for you? Public schools. Mm -hmm. I mean, granted that that's setting aside the moral situation of public schools today, but still, back when the United States had not been overthrown, which I would argue was 1913, but um, it, it, prior to all that, public schools used to be reliable, not just for teaching solid uh, preparations for life, but even morality. Yeah. How long is that? Yep. How long is it? It's been so long that that's been something we could say that it's almost a joke. To say yeah. that public schools could be a, a, a factory of morality. How long yeah. has that now been? You send your kids to public school and you're you're literally risking that those people will will physically mutilate your child and and permanently sterilize them. And you and you have no say in this and you will not be able to do anything if they if they decide that they're going to do this. In fact, you might be persecuted and you might have your child removed from you if your child comes under the becomes a target of these perverts who want to sexually mutilate them. That's that's literally where we are right now. That's where we are. Um, it's. Oh, come Lord Jesus, it can't, it, uh, we, we've been saying for years, how much worse can it get? Um, what, what's, what, what's our new expectation? What are we, what are we missing? What are we, um, cannibalism, they're working on that. They're trying to get. Isn't the COVID jab a form of cannibalism? Yep. It, indeed. Indeed. Um, right. What, what are we and, missing? And just in case that's a newsflash or anyone, do we want to recapitulate? how that works why is that cannibalism sure can't hurt go ahead well and it reminds me of c.s lewis screw tape letters of of um <laughs> making the humans eat each other um the the covid <clears throat> air quotes vaccine is uh made from aborted uh, aborted uh stem cells and and uh it's not just tested on aborted uh tissue but it's made from aborted tissue and if you go into any of the um a nurse clerk could really go on at length about this uh the monoclonal antibodies they're not only uh hybrids with non-human dna but it's also aborted tissue as well this is human yeah. 
DNA. We are consuming this through um, th- this Frankenstein version of medicine and putting it mm-hmm. back into us. And it's like, do you really think there's not going to be any kind of side effect here? Exactly. Yep. We've been talking about this now for three, almost three years, probably three years, pretty close. Um, they, what big pharma, and again, pull back your, pull back your lens. Yes, we're talking about big pharma, but who's ultimately driving all this? Ultimately, it's Satan. Ultimately, it's the forces of evil who are driving this. They want to get the entire planet, the entire human population to the point where people have to be or mandatorily are consuming um, other human flesh, preferably from murdered children, as just part of living. So that's what this whole notion about, you know, mandatory quote-unquote vaccinations every six months or every year. Um, they want to tran- They want to move the entire pharmaceutical edifice to being based upon um, producing drugs built off of and built from the flesh of murdered children. So that's what all the monoclonal antibody drugs are. Any drug that ends in the letters M-A-B, MAB, M-A-B stands for monoclonal antibodies. And as Nurse Claire and others... um, have exposed and we should put in the show notes we should relink do you remember when we had um the lady julie on who was doing all the work of of um you know shining the light on the fact that these drugs are made of they kill the baby they either take the scalp of the baby or the the liver um, thi- thymus, et cetera, et cetera, and they graft the children's organs onto mice. So you have to, and you have to have a fresh supply of this. You, it's an ongoing thing. It's not like the stem cell line, the argument they made as well, that the stem cell line as it exists comes from, you know, one one child who was killed in, in the late 1960s, early 1970s, I can't remember, and all of those other line, and all of that line is descended from that one original um, child who was killed. Um, that's not what we're talking about here with the monoclonal antibody drugs. They need a constant fresh source, and they, they are in bed with Planned Parenthood and the other abortuaries to get this tissue because they constantly have to be making more and more and more of these mice who have these these uh, fetal tissues grafted onto their bodies. And then in terms of monoclonal antibodies, because these mice now have this tissue from these babies grafted into them, their immune systems are modulated such that these mice are then producing um, antibodies with human characteristics in them so that you can then make the monoclonal antibody drugs out of that. But the point, it's a factory. You have to keep producing this stuff more and more and more and more. The pharmaceutical industry wants to transition to where almost all drugs are produced in this way. Right now, I mean, yeah, there's, they've got dozens of drugs that, they've, that they're producing this way. The objective is to get it to where basically everything is produced like this. Every drug you take for anything is going to be 
is going to be cannibalism. That's what they want. And not just cannibalism, but the cannibalism of, of children. It is 1,000% Luciferian. 1,000%. And that was episode 163, Moloch versus the Innocents, was the name of that one. It was Mrs. Julie uh, Kolarafi. Kolarafi, that's uh, right. The yep. link will definitely be in the show notes. So if you're listening to this, open up your podcast app and scroll down to the show notes and look for the link for that. Very good. Well, sir, shall we wrap it up? Oh, heavens no. We're only at an hour in. Huh? No, okay. We're almost no, we're an, an hour. hour and a half, aren't we? <laughs> 84 minutes. We're at, we're almost at an hour and a half. We haven't actually addressed any of the, the actual questions, and I did put out no, a question. No, no. That's how we roll. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we, we, we have to at least address one question maybe two or three okay. we'll see we'll see um because okay. i did put out a question on on twitter hey uh we haven't done an ask Anne in quite a while send us your questions and one i want to address here is in light of the rumors that uh george Bergoglio, i'm sorry jorge uh, bergoglio intends to shut down more traditional latin mass options in the near future i would like to know Anne's position on whether traditional catholics should attend the novus Ordo mass every week if that's the only option for mass wow it's 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 a great question it's a good question um i i i usually hate to answer questions with the phrase it depends but i think i'm, I'm gonna go ahead and say it depends um oh absolutely and I'll, I'll jump in on that one real quick um for someone like me who has grown up who, who was raised on nothing but the traditional mass I was told by a fraternity of St. Peter priest, it would be objectively a mortal sin for me to go to the Novus Ordo Mass because it would, it would be undermining my faith. Now, your mileage may vary. Your mileage may vary. And I'm, I was very clear in saying, for me, and that advice was for me, and it wasn't from an SSPX priest. Talk to your own priest. Depends on your background and, and what would scandalize you. For me, it... I would be horribly scandalized based on what I've heard goes on at new masses and the reverent ones. Oh, yeah. 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 I don't think I could stomach it. I, I would be tempted to do the home alone nonsense. So with regard to the answer that Anne's going to give you, that's my answer. And it really depends on who you are, how you were raised and what your sensitivities are. If you came up through something way more jazz handy, the answer is going to be different for you. And I'll let you take over from here. And it, the depends also depends on, I don't want, I don't want to say the, li, the liturgy, but what people are doing, uh, because what people are doing at some of these masses is completely detached from liturgy in and of itself. I mean, if you look at some of the videos of what goes on at, um, uh, Santa Sabina in in Chicago. Who who's the who's that priest? Flager, Flager. I mean, he's he's trying to pretend that he's he's doing the whole black preacher thing, but I mean, it's it's screaming and yelling and jumping up and down and and um, he I've if if you can sit and watch any of those things, I mean, you can't sit and watch them all the way through. It's just too much, but. Um, he, you know, people are checking on these videos and he is validly confecting the Eucharist. He is saying the words of consecration. 
and he is using, you know, the proper, the proper matter. So he's using the proper matter and he's saying the proper words, which is the proper form. So yes, he, he is confecting the Eucharist at those masses, but what is going on at those masses is so atrocious. Now, you know, there, there's a spectrum here. Not every Novus Ordo mass is on the level of a, of a, of a flager mass. Um, not every mass is on the level of, you know, the, the horrible things that we see posted periodically, you know, father Z will every once in a while put up something, a video of something that's going on there. There's a spectrum. There's a spectrum of how horrible they can be. And then there's a, there's a, on the other side, they, they can be quite banal. This is a separate question from the liturgy itself and how the Novus Ordo liturgy took took the mass and just mangled it and you know replaced the offertory with a Jewish table blessing and all of the theology that goes along with that that's that's a different category I'm talking about the things that that people are doing the the antics the shenanigans that people are are getting up to in these Novus Ordo masses so you know am, am I I haven't been to a Novus Ordo Mass in quite some time, obviously. Um, but, you know, I obviously remember, <laughs> I came into the church of the Novus Ordo, and, you know, I remember in the, in the first years of my conversion that I would periodically go, and sometimes when I was traveling, I had to, I had to go to a Novus Ordo Mass. Um, when I was doing my cattle marketing schools and flying all over the place, that sometimes the only Mass that I could make was a Novus Ordo Mass, and it, as the famous story that I tell is having to stop going to Archbishop Chaput's Mass in, in the cathedral in downtown Denver. Um, a lot of times I would hit that one because I would have to travel home on Sunday from my cattle marketing schools, and that was the one that I could go to. And, you know, after about the sixth time when he declared that um, Allah, the thing that the Musloids alleg allegedly worship, is exactly the same. Is exactly the same entity. It's the same God as as the as the Triune Godhead, which makes absolutely no sense because, by definition, um, Muslims deny the Trinity, obviously, and so therefore, how can it be the same? How can it be the same God? This is, but the, see, this is how intellectually shallow a lot of these guys are too. They're not, they're not the sharpest knives in the drawer. Um, and so I had to quit going to Chaput's mass because he would go out of his way in his homilies to make the point that quote unquote, Muslims wor worship the same God that we do. I was like, I, I, I can't, I can't do this. I can't do this. Um, that, those Novus Ordo masses, the, the liturgy itself was, what was not terrible the music it was they were guitar masses it was young people there was a guitarist there was or two guitarists and a woman with with a bongo and she would she there was a little there was she was playing this it was relatively subtle i mean she wasn't like full ricky ricardo beating on the thing but yeah there was a woman with a drum and it was it was kind of folky. It was a folky guitar kind of a vibe. But then at the very end, 
at the very end of the mass, Chaput would process over to the lady altar, which was on the which was the epistle side transept. And he would and he would intone and he would sing the Salve Regina in Latin. And then the guitars would start up again and he would process out of the cathedral. So, I mean, the whole thing is just this giant spectrum. Um, my, my, I don't know if critique is the right word of, of your position, super nerd, is knowing everything that you know, being informed as we are and knowing the faith and knowing what has happened, knowing what the Novus Ordo is, knowing about the infiltration, understanding all of this. W would you be scandalized? Would, would you be tempted to lose your faith if you were to be present at a Novus Ordo Mass, given all of the context we have, understanding everything that we have? Um, now, some people, yes. In fact, that's what happened to a lot of people. When, when the Novus Ordo was first promulgated the first week of Advent, so December of 1969, a lot of people who had been born and raised in the church were catechized, but still had a kind of a lukewarm, a, a lukewarm faith. They took one look at the Novus Ordo in, in the beginning of 1970, and I, I've talked to many people and have had many people write to me and tell me this, but I've had these conversations with people eye to eye, people who were born in the 40s and were raised, I mean, were raised in the absolute beating heart bosom of, you know, German, German American immigrant Catholicism in, in Western Kansas. I mean, raised hardcore Catholic before Vatican II. They took one look at the Novus Ordo Mass and said, oh, well, I, I guess, I guess the Catholic Church doesn't exist anymore. And, and I like, came to it that quickly. Well, I guess the, the Catholic Church doesn't exist anymore, and apparently if it doesn't exist now, then it never did, and walked away and never went back. Just from seeing the Novus Ordo Mass in early 1970. And that's before it got really strange. And that's before it got really strange. That's exactly right. In fact, what those people saw and caused them to, um, to apostatize and walk away would be considered high church Novus Ordo at this point. No, no doubt about that. No doubt. We're not even talking about people seeing things like, you know, puppets and, and guitars and bongos and anything. That, that's not even what we're talking about. We're talking about the, the priest facing the people. We're talking about all this, you know, weird stuff with the servers and, and all of that and, and the right of peace. They're like, well, this, this isn't, this isn't Catholicism. This isn't the Catholic Church. And, and people walked away. Instead of staying and fighting and protesting and saying, no, we're not putting up with this, they shrugged their shoulders and walked away, which th what this speaks to is an interesting question of it wasn't all it wasn't all perfect, wonderful, you know, nothing's wrong in in the 1950s, in the 1940s. If those people who were born in the 40s and 50s and who were brought up in the faith and served the old mass, you know, the boys were serving the old mass every day as altar servers and so on and so forth. If those people just, boom, saw the Novus Ordo and quit and walked away, 
there was something profoundly lacking in their formation and their catechesis already in the 19th. I was going to say the term whitewashed sepulchers comes to mind. Yeah. Well said. Exactly. So all the appearances were there, but, and and boy, there are some films online of, of, um, first Holy communions out in, I saw someone sent me a video of first Holy communion in like 1949 in Hayes, Kansas. And I mean, just dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of children meticulously dressed you know all the girls in the white bridal gowns all the boys all the little boys in suits processing into the church meticulous perfect um you know going up genuflecting getting to their place absolutely gorgeous and most of those people ended up apostatizing most of them apostatized so you know what was going on what was the problem now back to our question do you go to the novus ordo if there's absolutely nothing else uh it depends it depends on how good or how bad the the liturgy in and of itself is um you know if the priest is a giant flaming fag it's gonna make you angry um you should probably you should probably stay away. On the other hand, if the priest isn't a giant flaming fag and he he doesn't know, he doesn't understand, or he's a, he's in a position where saying the novus order is all he can do, and he tries to keep the thing you know relatively contained and uh, keeping all of this this uh, improvisation and options, keeping all of that to a minimum, um, not giving. The, one of the one of the big things is when I was first received into the church in the first parish that I was was received in, um, the the pastor uh, right at the time that I came in got the idea in his head that he needed to be giving four or five homilies in every mass. So he'd give an introductory homily. He'd give a homily before before the epistle reading. He'd give a homily um, after the gospel. Obviously, that's the that's the legitimate one. He would give, and then the one that was the most <laughs> you just holding your head in your hands and thinking, dude, what what are you thinking? At the great silence after the reception of Holy Communion, you know, there's supposed to be what's called the great silence because we've all just or people there present have sacramentally received the Lord and you need to have that time with him. That's some, that's the most important time in a person's life is when you're, when you're sacramentally communing with, with God. Wait, where does this term great silence come from? Is this a Novus Ordo term? Uh, uh, I, I was always, I always thought that the, the quote unquote great silence was the time after Holy Communion when you've, you know, you're in that window before and while the priest is doing the ablutions and before, before the post-communion is said, that that is referred to liturgically as the great silence. He would give a homily during the great silence every Sunday about how important the great silence was, which by definition eliminated the great silence. It was, it was, it was unbelievable. I'm just sitting here thinking, Okay, why don't you cover this in the in the in the sermon time or the homily time, and then how is it not occurring to you 
that you are contradicting yourself, going on and on and on about how important the great silence is and, and not permitting anyone to actually experience it. So it got to the point where he was giving, he was giving regularly at least four, if not five homilies during every mass. Now, <laughs> that's just a failure of communication. I mean, if you can't that, organize, what, yeah. if you can't organize what it is you're going to say, I mean, anybody who knows how to communicate things, you need to understand what the capacity of your audience is. And if you can't get the point across in one sermon, what makes you think you're going to get a, get it across in five? And no, I've never heard the term great silence before. And um, I think with this priest, though, that he was also in love with the sound of his own voice and just, you know, he was doing everybody a favor by giving the pre-epistle sermon and giving, you know, the introductory sermon and then giving the post, the giving the post-communion sermon and so on and so forth. And, oh, and then the, the, at the end of mass, he would give the fifth sermon would be um, the announcements and post-communion. And that, that would go on, of course, for a while too. So um, is that, you know, it, again, it depends on what's going on and how bad it is. Um, you, if, if it's a relatively mild, not, not horrific Novus Ordo, what I tell a lot of people and what, what I used to do when I got stuck going to them was, I mean, you, you've got your missile with you or you've got Divinium Officium on your, on your smartphone and you're reading the mass, you're, follow, you're following along with what's going on in the church, but in the sense that you're reading, you're reading out of the old missile and you're reading the mass of that Sunday or, and or the praying of the rosary always an option, always an option. Um, but it does it make you angry. That's, that's a consideration. Um, if, if you go to mass and you're just, some things are going on such that your blood is just boiling when, when you walk out of there, I mean, you have to discern that for yourself at that point, then I don't, I don't know. Um, I, I have to laugh and qualify that as, something making you angry about the liturgy itself. And I, I say that laughing because I have been literally angry at people in the pews who don't discipline their children during mass. And I feel like I can't go to communion yeah, because I've been different. so yeah. angry at them and wanting to just grab them by the back of their necks and say, discipline your children. Dang it. Yeah. That yeah. I, I feel like I can't go to the, the sacrament at that point. It's like, okay, that's, that's not what Ann's talking about. And to, and to qualify, no, it no. depends. It depends on, on the, the liturgy itself, whether or not it's, it's, worthy for lack of a better term and it depends on you whether or not you're you're going to be scandalized by it and i made the 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 highly narrow definition of what applies to me which probably applies to very few people people listening to this um it's going to depend on you and the liturgy yeah it's dependent upon you and the liturgy and the other point that's very that i that i've made before on the podcast is remember the most awful, horrible mass that's ever taken place, where there were people yelling, jeering, uh, probably people shouting sexual profanities and insults, people walking around, people milling around. Y you know what that was, right? The worst mass ever uh, that was Calvary. Be, yeah, I was going to say the crucifixion. The crucifixion. So, I mean... 
if you if you could be at Calvary, if if our Lord came to you and said, I will give you the opportunity, I will, in my power as God, I will transport you there and you can be there at Calvary. Would you say yes or would you say no? And I mean, be there at Calvary, not not in the context of the holy sacrifice of the mass, where it is the unbloody representation by the by the warping of time and space such that the event of Calvary is happening on the altar. I'm talking about you being there, you know, almost, you know, 2000 years ago now, you being there on the ground in Jerusalem on Golgotha, right, right there in time and space. The stumbling block to the Jews and the folly to the, to the heathens. Would you go? Would you say yes? Well, I would, of course. Of course you would. But then you're going to see, you're going to hear the Roman soldiers, I mean, taunting our Lord with sexual insults and stuff like that. Are you, are you going to say, well, well no, I'm, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go. I'm not going to be there because that was going on. I'm not going to go because there wasn't silence. I'm not going to go because there were people walking and milling around and, and so on and so forth. Well, of course not. Of course not. And so as super nerd, you've, um, you've made this point beautifully several times that um, at the holy sacrifice of the mass, our Lord sometimes, sometimes he's, our, our perception of it and what we're reminded of is our Lord, you know, in glory as the king of kings. And sometimes when we're there, our perception of it is what's really driven home is, is our Lord crucified, is our Lord on the cross, our Lord at the pillar being scourged. Um, and so it seems to me that when you go to these masses, that we, and when you see this stuff going on, what you should be reminded of is our Lord's passion and his suffering. It's, it's, it's never a bad thing for you to be thinking about our Lord's passion. In fact, that's what he consistently asks of people. Think about my passion because it makes you think about A, his love for you, B, the reality of his incarnation, and the fact that it was, it was God who incarnated and died for you. That thinking about the passion just brings that combination home to you because, you know, his his body is being he's being tortured to death. And so you have to have that visceral connection with the incarnation, but then also contemplating the fact that he's also God. So that's why he wants us to think about his passion as much as we possibly can. His passion is the ultimate love letter to every single one of us. Absolutely. And every one of us listening to this who who has loved somebody and mm-hmm. wants to remind them of what we've done to earn their love, nothing we have ever done can even compare to looking yeah. at a crucifix and realizing what that means. Yeah. And so it seems to me that even in an instance, when you're at a Novus Ordo Mass um, and and you're sitting there thinking, oh, this is, this was such, this was such a, a horrible mistake that was, that was foisted upon the church by these infiltrators. But there can be that moment of grace where you are stimulated to think about our Lord's passion, 
how much he loves us. And uh, again, the, uh, whenever I, I try, whenever I am um, exposing horrible priests who do horrible things, um, I, I try to hasten to remind people that 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 horrible priest, let's say he's an active sodomite. I just had a post that I made yesterday or day before yesterday about, um, you know, this this Jesuit in Rome who just he's on Twitter. It's the it's the technology guy, super nerd that you you recognized him as being a technology guy. And you didn't Robert even realize Balisser, he was a Yeah, I didn't know he was Balisser. in Rome, but yeah, he, he talk about somebody who's in love with the sound of his voice and and uh, the things of the world. And I've heard him on many podcasts with Leo Lepuke, I mean, Leo Laporte. And um, I don't recall him ever saying anything Catholic. Yeah. Oh, he, he prides himself on the fact that he never speaks about God or the faith to anyone unless they specifically, specifically directly ask him. Because, you know, that's, that's, that's not, I'm not interested in any of that. The guy's a Jesuit priest in Rome. He's running some sort of communication office or something. And he's flamingly flamingly gay and just on his Twitter feed. I, I, I would don't even look at his Twitter feed because there's stuff on there. That's just, that's pornographic. It, that was the first thing that brought him across my radar was he made, he made a post um, on Twitter that was legit pornographic. Like this is, this is a Jesuit priest who's elevated and sent to Rome. Um, but but the point that I make and the thing that you have to remember and how this can be an occasion of grace is that when that guy, Robert Belisaire, SJ, when he offers the holy sacrifice of the mass, as long as he has valid matter and uses the correct words of consecration and intends to do what the church does, our Lord is obedient to his call and comes down onto the altar into his filthy hands. And why does he do that? Love. Lo love for us so that who, who the heck knows if I've ever, you know, who knows what's going on with a lot of these guys. If you pop into any sort of a church and visit our Lord in, in reposed in the tabernacle, I have no idea when you pop into a church who the priests are, what they're about, what they did, what their, what their private lives are, any of that stuff. But I do have a high degree of confidence still because they haven't changed the words of consecration in the Novus Ordo Mass yet. We'll, we'll see if, if Bergoglio attempts to do that with Satan being the driver behind that. But you have a relatively high degree of certainty that if you pop into a Novus Ordo church that, and there's a red light next to the tabernacle that our Lord, the Blessed Sacrament, is reposed in that tabernacle. And so... You know, that would be, remember, when you see these horrible priests, our Lord obeyed his call, came down on the altar so that, so that we, or, you know, the little old lady who's sitting in the back praying her little rosary, he came for her. Our Lord obeys these beastly men and comes down on the altar and the Eucharist is confected so that our Lord could be close to the little old lady who's praying her rosary in, in the back row. Uh, you, you just stop and think about that and think about the love and you always get back to the same thing. It's like that concept we have when we're making the argument about, um, you know, Pope Benedict's canonically invalid uh, resignation and the, the really smart lawyer sent in the word conciliance, said, you, you have convinced me because 
every single argument leads to exactly the same base premise, uh, base premise, beginning and ending, premise and conclusion. When everything aligns and everything's pointing at exactly the same premise, that in and of itself, that's called consilience, and that tells you that something is in fact true. What's going on here is that what, when we're talking about these horrible priests and confecting the Eucharist, what it all comes back to is love. So even in the occasion of going to a Novus Ordo Mass, even, even, if it's, even if it's bad, even if there's stuff going on, what I would always hasten to remind everybody is to think about how much God loves us, how much our Lord loves us, that even in these horrible Novus Ordo Masses with these horrible priests, if it's, if it's the correct matter and form and with the intention to do what the church does, then that, that is validly confected and our Lord comes and you know we'll we'll find all this out in it, only when we hopefully enter the beatific vision but we are going to find things out like our lord came down onto the altar when some pedophile priest consecrated the host because i was coming to that mass you say well that sounds pretty arrogant of you to say and but i mean i mean that in the, in the general sense we're we're going to be we are going to be bent over with blushing with um, with shame when we find out when we get to our particular judgment and the general judgment and the beatific vision when we find out the things that our lord did for us personally as individuals when i when i find out the things someday that he has done for me and it's never even occurred to me he said i did that for you I did that for you. But then there's also um, Super Nerd, I believe you were the one who um, gave us the wonderful, the wonderful turn of phrase that God, uh, absolution, uh, a priest absolving mortal sin in the confessional is a greater act than the creation of the entire universe. I was, just so repeating, that also, I was repeating what a priest said from the pulpit. That wasn't yeah. my own genius. I mean, that, that sort of thing, the, thinking about what he's done for us, the fact that he would die for us, uh, he would go through his entire incarnation, passion and death for us as individuals as many times as we assist at Mass in our life. And then the truth is more than that, too. Look in the scriptures. Christ appeared to, to Peter as he was fleeing Rome saying that he was going to go to be crucified again because Peter was fleeing. Yep. Yeah. I mean, that's not just for Peter. That's for all of us as well. And the only yeah. thing I would push back on, on, on what you said about, um, mm -hmm. it was in, quite beautifully said about um, the consolation of, of being able to, to go to a new mass and, and, and have the, the sacrament validly confected even if it's in a sense of the passion as opposed to the, the glory of, of God's manifestation, as in the scenario yes. you, you mentioned with uh, Father Robert Balasar, you had to say if three times in a row. And when you start having to conditionally qualify if he really believes, if it's a valid matter, if he intends to do what the church does, then to go back to the original question of should you go to the new mass, 
there is a third option, and that is you can vote with your feet and go find the traditional mass. And we've talked about that before. Yes. Oh, and that that brings up, I do want to mention, um, getting lots of um, questions and emails, especially from in the diocese and archdiocese where where the the Latin mass is being canceled, people who have been going to diocesan Latin masses and they've been canceled. And so getting lots of questions from people saying, hey, there's an Anglican ordinariate parish. Is that cool? And the answer is yes, it is. Um, if if you have been, if you have had your um, your Roman Rite Latin Mass taken away from you, there is a possibility that yeah, you can go. You can either go to an Anglican Ordinariate parish. They're they're one hundred percent Catholic. They're Angli- Most of them are Anglican parishes who came as an entire unit as a block into the Catholic Church together with their priest and the whole nine yards. And that this was Pope Benedict's doing. He was he organized all of it, and he did that even before Samorum Pontificum, if I'm not mistaken. Set that whole matrix up, and the Anglican Ordinariate for now appears to not be so much on uh, Bergoglio's radar. So I mean, those aren't being those aren't being canceled or anything. The other option is a a Byzantine Catholic parish. So, you know, some of them are Ukrainian. Um, in fact, lots of them are Ukrainian, uh, ethnically Ukrainian. Uh, but yes, if, there's, if there is a Byzantine Catholic, we're not talking about Eastern Orthodox, we're talking about Uniates, the Byzantines who are in union with Rome. Yes, you can go to that too. So there are options. So don't stand with or go fight with the Ukrainians, but pray with them. Yes. I want to hit, uh, oh, go ahead. Well, the, just recapitulating a point that we've already made is don't, don't do the stay-at-home thing. The stay-at-home thing is, is pretty bad. Um, you're only in the most dire circumstances, but you really need to make that effort. And, um, well, and the original question was, do you go to a Novus Ordo if that's all there is? And... I'm, I, I believe me, I'm cringing. My skin is crawling as I say it because I, I'm all about answering questions directly and solidly. But I think given the past 45 minutes conversation, hopefully everybody understands what I mean when I say it depends. Sorry. Well, I want to address one more question real quick, and I think it is a quick one. And the question is, I would like to go to a silent retreat for traditional Catholics. Any suggestions on a good one? I'm willing to travel to go. I prefer a week long as opposed to just a day. Um, Nurse Claire and several other people I know have personally rave about, um, rave in the good sense, personally rave about the, um, the SSPX retreats that are done in Phoenix. So... Yeah, she's she's done it there with them more than once, um, and you hear nothing but good things. So SSPX Retreat Center in Phoenix, and Phoenix is a pretty liquid airport, easy to get in and out of. So that's what I would say. That's the one I've heard so many people say really good things about. I've been to the Retreat Center at Phoenix. Uh, I can't remember if it's more than once or just once for a, a week-long retreat. The, the the week-long Ignatian retreat, if you've never been on that, that's something that uh, the, the the lament is that it doesn't have the effect 
the effect doesn't stay with you as long as, as you'd like it to because um, it sounds like something that should be almost torturous, like five days that I have to be totally silent. But you don't want to leave by the time the fifth day is there. You, you, you almost wish you could just leave the world and become a hermit and, and, and just contemplate on, on the scriptures. And then you have to go back to the world again. <laughs> it's, it, it's, an, it's an experience that if you've never had it, um, I, don't know if the, I don't know if it's the right thing to say it would change your life because the first time I went on a nation retreat was in high school. So I was not really fully grown up yet. If I had not gone on a nation retreat till I was 30, I think I would have had a very different experience of it. So from my two cents, I highly recommend it as well. And just to make sure people understand, um, they hear Ignatian, Ignatius, founder of the Jesuits, yes, because they they were cool. The Jesuit the Jesuit order technically doesn't exist anymore. There's a monstrosity polluting polluting the church and running around on this planet, calling itself the Jesuit order and claiming to be a continuation of what of what was founded by um, Ignatius of Leo of Loyola and so forth, but it isn't, it's, it's, it's a monstrosity. So don't, and poor St. Ignatius, because of what the Jesuits are today, um, he, he has been almost poisoned, poisoned by association. It's terribly sad. It's very, very sad, but don't be put off by the fact that it's, it's, um, you know, doing, doing the, um, the Ignatian exercises and all of that. That's, it's all, it's all perfectly orthodox. The Ignatian retreats were given to St. Ignatius by Our Lady herself. Yeah. So it's not something St. <laughs> Ignatius dreamed up in a fever pitch while he was uh, recovering from a battlefield wound. Yeah. Our Lady gave St. Dominic the rosary, and she gave St. Ignatius this. So absolutely go do it. SSPX Phoenix Retreat Center. If you search engine that, it should come right up. And and, uh, oh, we'll there, put, and we'll put something in the show notes. We'll put a link in the show notes, of course. And there's also more than just the Ignatian retreats as well. I believe there's the Marian retreats, and I want to say there's at least one other kind as well. So that in terms of the different kinds of spiritual retreats that are available, there is a selection. And, and the SSPX has been doing this at least since the early 80s. Not necessarily yeah. in Phoenix, yeah. but they, they've, had, they've got retreat houses uh, around different parts of the world. Um, I've, I've gone on a retreat in Winona a couple of times, uh, during the summer. That's actually, that was when the, the seminary was still up there during the summer. It all clears out cause the seminarians go on their summer cruise. That's, that's a Naval Academy reference. They, they go out and they're, they're, they're helping out a parish someplace or they go home for the, for the summer yeah. and then, or, or if they're deacons, they're going out and, and, and helping a priest at some parish someplace. And basically the seminary becomes a ghost town for a couple of months, which is a perfect time to do retreats, which is what they do. Exactly. So. Yep. And is the Ignatian retreat, is that geared toward people who are, um, like discerning a major life decision or, life change or is it is it just applies to anybody across the board it's meant for anybody who wants to become serious about their faith or serious about saving their souls but to your point about discerning um their state in life i reached certainty that i was called to the married life on an on an ignatian retreat uh for a while i was questioning whether or not I, i was called to the to the priesthood and it was actually in a spiritual conference with one of the priests 
uh, the, the one-on-one conferences, um, he was making the comments like, well, certainly it'd be a lot easier to be a, a father of family. And I was like, what are you talking about? It, as a priest at five o'clock, you can close the window and, and have quiet prayer time. And I realized, and yeah. he, he started laughing. And I was like, and I, was like I realized I'm defending the more arduous position from my point of view as the one I'm uh, uh, drawn to. It's like, okay, for the first time I'm saying, okay, duh, that's your, your state in life right there. Now the only question is who? So. And that worked out. So (laughs) that was taken care of. (laughs) So far, so good. Yeah. So far, so good. (laughs) Uh, Indeed. Shout out to super mommy. Indeed. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. And now I think we can wrap up. All right. Very good. Unless you got something else. I mean, we're only two hours in. Only two hours in. Well, Nurse Claire can can jog or row, and I think she'll be very happy. I I keep saying 18 miles, but she's saying, no, 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 I'm only up to nine now. We'll see. (laughs) Yeah, spring is is coming, so it's time to get back in uh, condition in all respects, spiritually and otherwise. So the email address for the podcast where you can send feedback, comments, suggestions, or any, any other feedback, the email address is podcast at barnhart.biz. Anne expresses her profound gratitude to all of her benefactors, and there's at least one mass, traditional Catholic mass, set every single day for all of her benefactors, plus one traditional Catholic Latin requiem mass set for everybody who died in the previous week. And I want to ex- I want to extend to a little bit back further than just one week. Uh, since the last time we had we, we recorded a podcast, we've lost two traditional Catholic priests, uh, Canon Enrique Frangeli of the. Uh, Institute of Christ the King and yes. Father um, Gerard Darby of the SSPX. Both both of these priests died very unexpectedly. I don't want to I don't want to use the term suddenly because it has a very different meaning these days. Yeah. Um, yeah. Father Darby died in his sleep. Um, he was discovered dead in his in his in his in, in the in the rectory in the morning. Um, Father. How for, old of a man was he? How old was he? I I don't know. Um, I don't think he was old. But then again, mm-hmm. now that I'm getting close to 50, that, <laughs> that term is very relative. Me, yeah. um, I think he was younger than me, but I'm not sure. I really don't know. Oh, um, wow, okay. But yeah, very unexpectedly didn't... Uh, well, in the case of, of uh, Canon Fergelli, he did have a previous um, medical condition. He, he almost died from COVID, and he was under very serious intensive care for months. But it looked like he was over it, and he had been named the... Um, the uh, provincial for brazil uh i want to say that the institute was setting up a a new uh, province in brazil and he suddenly died and i don't mean suddenly in the covid sense Uh, although in his case maybe there was a connection i don't know because he he did have that complication father father darby didn't as far as i know but the the point i want to emphasize we always talk about praying for the priest because they have an absolutely gigantic target on their back spiritually speaking and they're being attacked by demons and evil men doing the work of demons. But they're human, too, and their health can fail without warning. And, of course, we have the consolation of knowing that these two priests frequented the sacraments. They said the Mass. They were you know, regular in their priestly prayer and, and ministry. And that's a massive consolation. Yeah. Um, yeah. But please pray for the priests. I mean, it, it's this is an aspect that <laughs> of all the different ways I try to reference this and that I have referenced it in the past, I haven't thought about this particular angle. The priests are humans and they die too. Being human, it, it's the only thing you're guaranteed is is death and taxes. Um, so 
some of some of sometimes the death comes way more suddenly than others and pray that the priests are prepared for it as well i i would okay. shudder to think what it would be like to to be a priest and have that to have that mark on your soul you are a priest in eternity regardless yes. of which path you go and if you show up at your at your judgment not prepared yeah. and to what degree our prayers can help them to be prepared my goodness hit your knees and help them indeed and don't forget the talking about the community of saints don't forget that we've got a patron we can call on to here uh saint tiny princess and invoke her and I'll, I'll mention her a little bit more here in a minute the Barnhart Podcast is a value-for-value value podcast. If you got some value from this, whether it's just entertainment, education, inspiration, ideas for preparation, all the other shuns, uh, please consider returning some value, and you can learn more about that at supernerdmedia.com. And since the last podcast, I want to recognize a couple of a few donors. Via the mailbox, Rick. Just Rick has stuck his neck out for us so far. Um, that's a... You recognize that reference, right? Casablanca? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's the Rick who sticks his neck good, out for us, good. yes. And yep. via Amazon, uh, Chris sent a note, please accept this as a token of my appreciation for the value you add to the Barnhart podcast when I listen to the older shows. Your testimony about St. Tiny Princess was especially edifying. Hang in there, pray the rosary every day, avoid the novice order. That's the way he wrote it. I didn't, I'm not making it up. And, well, I guess, <coughs> excuse me, I guess we all... Um, Get to feel what St. Athanasius and Prophet Elijah must have felt like. Blessed are the persecuted. So that was Chris. Susan says, thank you for all you do and have a blessed Lent. And then Mark sent no message at all, just a donation. And then David, uh, who just got his donation in at noon today, he says, thank you for supporting Anne and your family um, and for the support of St. Tiny Princess. Oh, and I've nice. mentioned I've mentioned before uh, many times the, the term value for value. So the, the, I, I mentioned if you get some value out of this podcast, please consider returning some value. That's a concept I completely ripped off from Adam Curry, and, and I, I say that in a in a positive sense, I guess. Um, he, he that's a term he uses with the No Agenda Show, and I, I mean, we mentioned earlier that both of the the hosts of the No Agenda Show have authorized anybody and everybody who wants to offer prayers of agency for them, which is spiritually like they're saying the prayers themselves. Um, they've authorized anybody and everybody to pray for them. And these are two men who are very much open to the truth on the natural level, but I think supernaturally as well. And and we mentioned that Adam's appearance on, on Joe Rogan, uh, definitely <laughs> there's a supernatural, uh, there's supernatural, supernatural grace at work there. Uh, how much only God could say for sure, but um, consider, if nothing else, consider praying for them. And that's, that's a tremendous value for value right there. And, and it occurred to me that if, if through Adam, uh, he could make a, an impression on Joe Rogan, the size of audience Joe has. Wow, if he suddenly converted or or was saying pro-Christian things, because that was part of the thing that Taylor Marshall broke down in, in his video, and I'll put that a link to that in the show notes, is that Joe Rogan comes across as a turbo skeptic at the beginning of that conversation. And then mm -hmm. he's kind of like laid back and thinking, okay, I'm open to learning more about this. Yeah, because that's the thing with Curry is that Rogan, there's mutual respect there, you know? And so if Curry is saying anything even remotely Christian, um, just because of the the respect that he has in, in that kind of, that circle, that community, um, it's, 
it's heavy, man. It's it's and oh, the thought of of Rogan reverting because I'm pretty sure that Rogan is um is ethnic is he's ethnically Italian, and so he's almost certainly baptized. He's but, from um, Boston, whatever that means. I think he's one of that that group of comedians from from South Boston. Okay. Yep. So he's I, almost certainly baptized. Um, I don't know if he is, so, but it, it, it's people like Bill Burr. They all came from that same area, and I know Bill Burr is elapsed Catholic, and a lot of the other uh, uh, comics from South Boston and the Boston area were Catholic. I don't know if Rogan was. He strikes me as somebody who never really was, but I'm not a Roganologist, so I couldn't tell you for sure. Well, if anyone in the listenership knows, let us know, and you know, we can just start check, checking these people off. You know, the, we'll get we'll get Curry, and then next on the list is Rogan, and we'll just keep going from there. Until then, uh, Matthew seventeen twenty is yours. I'm, I think I'm done talking for a while. All right, uh, our fourfold intention continues. The fact that Pope Benedict has died modifies the intention, but we're still praying that. Bergoglio be publicly recognized and removed as an anti-pope and that the whole thing be nullified. Um, that Pope Benedict Ratzinger be publicly recognized as having been the one and only living pope from April of 2005 until his death on December 31st, 2022. And for the Petrine Sea in, in and of itself, for its integrity and in that hopefully somebody fill it if that's God's will. Um, that Bergoglio repent, revert to Catholicism, die in a state of grace, and someday achieve the beatific vision, and for the repose of the soul of Pope Benedict Ratzinger, Our Lady of Copacabana, slayer of the Taco Mama demon, pray for us. Amen. And uh, I think we're officially now at uh, two hours, 10 minutes plus, two hours, 13 minutes plus. So uh, Nurse Claire, get ready to do do 10 miles or whatever, whatever it is. I, I, I mentioned also multiple times, no agenda show. I, I, I keep meaning to meant to, to play this on the podcast here that, uh, if you donate to the no agenda show at a, at a high enough level, their executive producer or producer level, you can request, uh, jingles and sound effects. There is one for a Barnhart donation. It kind of goes like this. Barnhart donation. So if you want to, <laughs> if you want to have that show up and or have that sounded uh, in the uh, No Agenda show, go ahead and email me real quick, and I'll 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 send you the MP3 you can attach to the donation note, and we can make that happen. Oh uh, goodness, <laughs> I've created a monster. Yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> On that happy note, until next time, I am Super Nerd, and I'm Anne. Thanks, guys. God bless. Nothing we have ever done can even compare to looking at a crucifix and realizing what that means.